Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. As always, I welcome your comments, your questions, and your suggestions at carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com. Or you can also reply to the question in the episode description with whatever question, comment, or suggestion you'd like to make. If you enjoy the content here at Carla Reads the Classics, I ask for your support in the form of a small contribution to the podcast. Another thing, as I read H.K. Fitzgerald's Raising Catherine, it's clear to me that Mr. Fitzpatrick is a widower with the sudden death of his wife, as opposed to a single father, and I thought that was an important distinction to make. And now, without further delay, I give you H.K. Fitzgerald's Raising Catherine, Chapter 4. A few days after the party, Chanel, my ex-girlfriend, called. We talked for a while. She expressed her sorrow again for Catherine and me. I told her about being insulted and discriminated against by the Department of Family Services. I hadn't worked because I was mentally and emotionally unable and still trying to grieve. Money had gotten very low, so I applied for food assistance. I was told because I was a healthy man and able to work, they couldn't help me. The clerk said if I'd been a woman, I would have gotten food and rental assistance. I asked the clerk, I can't get that even though my wife, Catherine's mother, just died? Yes, she said, I'm sorry. All because I'm a man? I questioned. Yes, the clerk replied. Chanel ignored my ramblings and complaining, as she always did, and asked, What's going on with Catherine? I said, I don't know. I'm just trying to learn what to do every day. I try to sing to her. You should buy her some books and read to her, she suggested. I already do that, I told her. Then she said, Buy her the alphabet and number zero through nine. Why? I asked her. She said, She'll learn her alphabet and start reading early. I responded, she's one. She wouldn't understand what they are. She told me, you'd be surprised. Babies' brains are like sponges. They learn very quickly. Okay, I said, what do I have to lose? The next day, Catherine and I went to Toys R Us. She wanted everything she saw. I told her, no, we were here to get you some letters and numbers. I asked the clerk where the numbers and letters were. She took us to this huge area that was full of educational toys. Uh, The clerk asked if I was buying the alphabet for Catherine. I told her yes. She said, isn't she a little young for the alphabet? Well, I just want to see if she can learn them. I told the clerk Catherine's mother died, and this was a way I could really teach her and become close to her. The clerk said she was sorry to hear about Vanessa, and she understood what I was trying to do. She suggested I get large plastic letters and numbers. That way Catherine wouldn't be able to swallow them. I did just that. After returning home, I took the letters and numbers and washed them. Then Catherine and I got on the floor and began to play with them together. She would take them and throw them across the room. She would laugh so loud. She and I were having so much fun. It was a little hard to get her to listen to what I was trying to teach her. I had to remind myself she was just a year old and she couldn't talk. But she knew when I wanted her attention. I started thinking maybe she understood more than I thought. I decided to test my theory. I told her, go pick the letter up and bring it to me. She did. I was amazed. She did understand me. After a couple of weeks, she began to know what the letter A was. I would ask her to get the A and she would pick it up and laugh. She would get really excited and I would praise her and give her hugs and a kiss. Then she would lay her head on my lap with the A in her hand and use it as a teething toy. 
Now that Catherine was a year old, it was time for her shots. Dr. Wesley was her pediatrician. We hadn't seen him since she was six months old. I called to make an appointment. I explained to his receptionist that Vanessa died and I needed to get Catherine shots and have her check for any other hereditary health issues. The receptionist asked why I hadn't told them Vanessa had passed away. They would have come to pay their respects. I'd asked her to forgive me. I'd been so devastated by Vanessa's death that I, I'd forgotten to tell some people that she passed away. She asked me to hold on. She said Dr. Wesley would want to talk to me. He came to the phone and was stunned and saddened. He really didn't know what to say, but told me to bring Catherine in the next day if I could. I told him that was fine. We went to Dr. Wesley's office the next morning. The receptionist knew Catherine from when Vanessa and I had brought her in six months before. She asked what I was going to do now that Vanessa was gone. I replied, what do you mean? I'm going to raise Catherine. What else would I do? The receptionist asked, do you have any help? No, not really, I replied. She said, I'm proud of you. Most men would give her to her aunts or grandparents. I told her, not me. She's mine and I'll raise her. Besides, I promised her mother I would do whatever it took to take care of Catherine. While we waited for Dr. for Dr. Wesley, I sat on the floor braiding Catherine's hair. I didn't see Dr. Wesley when he first came out. He'd been watching me braid her hair. His eyes were watering. He said he was remembering the day we'd come to his office and he told Vanessa she was going to be a great mother. We walked back to the exam room and he asked me, how did Vanessa die? I explained to him. I let him know I wanted Catherine to be checked for everything. I want to make sure I do this right, I told him. I'm trying not to make a mistake. He said, don't worry, you'll make hundreds of mistakes. That made me cringe. Then he explained, the only way we learn is by trying. You didn't learn to braid her hair overnight, did you? Then he asked me, how is she sleeping? Fine, I said, I wish I could sleep as well as she does. She kicks me a lot, but she sleeps well. He told me, don't let her sleep in your bed another night. Why? I asked. He said, the day is going to come when you'll want another wife or girlfriend, and Catherine won't let that happen. She'll climb in bed with you, so stop that now. He then gave her the shots. It was hard for me, thinking the needle was going to hurt her, but I knew she needed it. He also had to draw blood to run tests, but she didn't cry. So it wasn't as bad as I thought. I think it hurt me more than it hurt her. Dr. Wesley told me, you need to relax. You're tense and you're worrying too much. Have you thought about going to see a therapist? Like most men, I said, I don't think I need to do that. He replied, there's nothing wrong with taking, there's nothing wrong with talking with someone. Men, we, we think it's weak to have a therapist, but it helps. You need to have someone to go to when things get tough. It will also help you through the grieving process. If you aren't in good shape, both physically and mentally, how are you going to be able to take care of Catherine? It's your right to choose what you want to do, but I think your pride is holding you back. When he said that, I remembered that pride comes before a fall. I didn't want to fall or fail at this, so I told him I'd think about it. He handed me a card and said, call her when you're ready. I took the card and Catherine, I took the card, made Catherine a follow-up appointment, then we left. Christmas was approaching. For the past couple of months, it had been mostly just Catherine and me. I was learning about being a single father, something I knew nothing about, but it had become the most important thing to me in the world. 
In my heart, I knew I could do this, but I was so scared. A friend told me this was a good fear and I should relax. Everything was going to work out. As the holidays grew closer, I became more and more depressed about what I was going to do. Vanessa's birthday was Christmas Eve and we were married on New Year's Eve. I knew Catherine and I were in for a long holiday season. About two weeks before Christmas, I called my in-laws. They never called me first about anything. I wanted to let them know that I would be having a family dinner at the house and they were invited. I didn't think they'd come. After all, I hadn't talked to them since Catherine's birthday. To my surprise, my sister-in-law said she would come and they had gifts for Catherine. I didn't believe her, but that's what she said they were going to do. So I figured I would just wait and see. I didn't buy Catherine anything special. I figured because it was our first Christmas without Vanessa, our friends and family would go overboard with gifts for her. On the day before Christmas Eve, I became very depressed and I couldn't stop crying. I could see shadows of what I thought was Vanessa. I found myself talking to the air, hoping that the air would talk back. I started to realize Dr. Wesley might be right. Maybe I did need to talk to that therapist he referred me to. Because Christmas was days away, I thought no one would be in her office. I figured it would be best to wait and contact her after the first of the year. I called Sharon and talked to her. I let her know what I was feeling, and I was in an empty, dark place. She said she would come by for a while, but she couldn't spend the night. She had things to do for her children. She had 10-year-old twins who were expecting a big Christmas. Sharon came over with a bottle of wine and some Chinese food. I hadn't cooked, and Catherine and I were hungry. I told Sharon I called my in-laws to invite them to dinner. She thought that was a good thing, but I still didn't think so. I just didn't want my in-laws to think I was denying them access to Catherine. Besides, they said they had gifts. I thought maybe they were coming around and beginning to accept that I wasn't going to give Catherine to them. Maybe they thought I was doing a good job. I revealed to Sharon I was going to see a therapist because I was unsure of things to come. Sharon said, just don't let your in-laws know. That might give them reason to try to take Catherine. They'll say you're crazy and unstable. I, would, I don't want to give them the time of day, I said. Do you really think I would tell them anything I do? She knew I wasn't going to talk to them about much at all, but it was one of those things she felt compelled to remind me of. Around 8 o'clock, Sharon left, and I went to bed and cried myself to sleep. The next day, Christmas Eve, was Vanessa's birthday. I'd finished all the shopping I was going to do, so I started to cook for Christmas. I'd invited my family and friends to the house for Christmas dinner, so I had to cook. I thought it would help keep my mind off Vanessa. This had to be the most sad, depressing Christmas I've ever had. I couldn't stop crying and blaming God. Catherine would look at me as if to say, Don't cry, Daddy. I'm here. She had the cutest smile. Looking at her face, I knew I had to make it through this long day. As I cooked, my neighbors stopped by to talk and bring gifts. It was just what I needed, company. They kept my mind off things and got me to laugh. Laughing was something I hadn't done much of since Vanessa died. Christmas Eve started to turn into a cocktail party. I was having fun for the moment. It was like a birthday celebration for Vanessa. We were reminiscing and just enjoying the time. Vanessa dying suddenly reminded us that any of us could die at any time. I knew the next day I would have to deal with my in-laws, my family, and acquaintances who I didn't want to be bothered with, but for the moment I was enjoying the company. 
The next day, I had Catherine open her gifts that I and some of my neighbors and friends had given her. It was strange. People had given her all kinds of toys and dolls, but she liked the books and a toy that would say the alphabet when she pressed a button. She probably liked those best because I read to her and we had started playing with the alphabet. I guess she'd gotten used to learning. Sharon had given her a stuffed bunny shortly after Vanessa died, and she wouldn't put it down. She liked it more than her new toys. It was sad Vanessa wasn't there with us, but I still had some peace. Not as much as I wanted, but it was cool to spend the morning together, just Catherine and me. Sitting by the tree, I started to cry, watching Catherine play with her toys and other gifts. She looked at me as if to say, why are you crying? I knew she didn't understand, but I also knew she was sad at times as well. Later that day, around three o'clock, my family started to show up for dinner. Sharon and her family, Kevin, and my other family and friends all came. I was stressed knowing my in-laws would be there soon, but it didn't matter because it was Christmas and it was all about family. How bad could they be? I thought. Then I thought more about it and I realized just how bad it could be. At Vanessa's funeral and Catherine's birthday party, they were pretty bad. Some people just don't care who they hurt as long as they have their way. The house was crowded. Our family rotated each Christmas on who would host dinner. It was my turn that year, but I wanted to cook. It wasn't my turn that year, but I wanted to cook. We were having a lot of fun. Then the in-laws from hell arrived. My whole mood changed. They knew I didn't want to see them. The feelings were mutual on their end. It was like we were going through the motions. I noticed they didn't have any bags or presents for Catherine. They had a card with a $50 bill in it, their usual gift. My sister-in-law, Farah, asked, Where's Catherine? I replied sarcastically, Well, hello to you too. Then I decided I wasn't going to be nasty. It was Christmas. Vanessa's birthday had been the day before, and in spite of all my sorrow, I was in a good mood. She's around here somewhere with my sister and her cousins, I told her. Then she looked at me as if to say, you're not doing your job, or like, you should have her in your arms at all times. Then she said, I want to take her with me. I thought that was strange, so I asked her, what do you mean? She said, I want to take her with me so my family can see her. I told her, you know, that's not going to happen. Not today. What she said changed my whole mood. I got paranoid and I started to think she might try to take Catherine with her. I wouldn't put anything past my in-laws. After all, they said some horrible things about me at the funeral and had made it clear they wanted custody of Catherine. I called Sharon and told her to bring Catherine to me. She came upstairs from the basement with Catherine. Sharon cordially spoke to my in-laws and asked how they were doing. My sister-in-law said, Will you tell him to let Catherine go with us? Sharon said, That's up to HK. I don't want to get in the middle of this. I asked my sister-in-law, Why would you come to my house on Christmas Day demanding to take Catherine with you? I don't understand why you would even think... I would do that after the way you and your family have treated me and all the nasty things you said. She said, we have gifts for her at the house. Well, you should have brought them with you because Catherine isn't leaving this house with anyone. I was so upset I came close to cursing them out and telling them to get out, but I I had other guests and I didn't want to embarrass myself. I tried to stay calm. I, I went outside with my brother and told Sharon to let them spend some time with Catherine. 
I couldn't believe they had the audacity to think I was going to let Catherine go with them, especially on such a short notice. This was just a part of their foolishness. It was just how they were. They always needed, they always felt a need to fix, manage, and control everything and everybody. I knew I would have to deal with them for many years to come, so instead of arguing with them, I tried to do something constructive, but they were more concerned with hurting me or trying to take Catherine. My sister, my sisters-in-law, Farah and Stacy, finally left. They left the card for Catherine with a $50 bill in it. I started to call them and tell them they should have kept their money, but I wasn't going to let them drag me into an argument. The $50 was one of those kinds of insults. I'd get I'd I'd get used to getting from them. They got the insurance money because Vanessa hadn't changed her beneficiary, and that's all they gave Catherine? That made me not want to call them anymore about anything. I said to myself, if they don't call me, then they won't hear from us. I, I came to the point where I didn't care anymore about how they felt or what they thought. It didn't matter to me if they ever saw Catherine again. I knew I had to raise her without their help, and that was fine with me. After everyone left, I began to prepare for New Year's Eve, the day Vanessa and I were married. This would be the last part of our first holiday season without Vanessa. I figured I would just stay home with Catherine and have some peace. I knew sometimes I wanted company and sometimes I didn't. I'd been told it was normal to be indecisive after suffering a tragedy like Catherine and I had experienced. New Year's Eve was even harder than I thought it would be. It was supposed to be our second anniversary, and I spent it and I spent it crying and feeling sorry for myself. I was glad Catherine and I were alone. I didn't like people seeing me cry. I was supposed to be tough. I'd been told all men are supposed to be tough, but the truth was, I had feelings I didn't know how to handle. Chapter five. By the time Catherine was 18 months old, she couldn't talk well, but she knew every letter in the alphabet and every number from zero to nine. I was shocked. I called Chanel and let her know what Catherine had learned. She replied, I told you so. We laughed and I said, if she learned the alphabet in six months, then I can teach her basic words. Yes, Chanel answered, you can. Thank you for suggesting that I get those letters and numbers. This is so cool. I never thought she could learn this fast. Well, I told you, a child's mind is like a sponge, Chanel said. It absorbs information. Children are curious and want to learn. They, they get into stuff. Just keep teaching her the right things and she'll be fine. Thank you, I said. I just don't know what I can do for you. Just take care of your child, she replied, and don't let anybody tell you that you can't. I started having Mrs. Davis watch Catherine three days a week. That gave me a chance to get business done and have some time to myself. I was still stressed about Vanessa's death and I was still finding it hard to sleep. Despite the stress and struggling to sleep, Catherine and I grew even closer. When I would pick her up from Mrs. Davis's house, she would run and jump into my arms. Sometimes when she did that, my eyes would water. I just wanted to cry. I just wished Vanessa was there to see to see us and, and all the joy Catherine had. Vanessa and I got just what we prayed for, a happy and healthy child full of energy. 18 months seemed to be a threshold for Catherine. One of her biggest milestones was becoming completely potty trained. Mrs. Davis wasn't big on changing diapers, so when Catherine learned how to walk, Mrs. Davis said, I should, I should have her sit on the potty. 
put her on the pot after she eats, she instructed, and don't let her up until she uses it. I did, and it worked. It worked so well that Catherine would sit on the toilet herself. She would get so excited when she left something in the potty. She'd laugh and say, I did it, I did it. She picked up on potty training so quickly that soon she started to change her own pull-ups. She hated being wet and stinky. It was funny, sometimes she would just drop them on the floor with a mess in them, but, but she had the right idea. Around that time, Catherine also started learning to read basic two and three letter words. She learned fast. I would read to her while she sat on my lap. She would point to the letters in the book and say what they were. Teaching her and watching how quickly she picked up everything was so much fun for me. I was, I was so proud of her. When Catherine was close to her second birthday, she was learning so fast, I thought I should put her in school. Mrs. Davis was against that. She said she was more than capable of teaching Catherine and felt Catherine would be in, in a much safer environment if she stayed with her. I said to her, I know she'd be much safer with you, but I feel like it's time for her to start to meet and interact with other children. I wondered if also she was concerned about the money she was going to lose by not babysitting Catherine anymore. I started searching for schools with the values and education that would bring out the best of Catherine's talents. I found several places that had what I was looking for and thought would be a good fit for her. The one that stood out above all others was called a mother's house. The staff at a mother's house was down to earth. When I took Catherine to see if this would be a good fit for her, it was perfect. She blended in so well. It was like she'd always gone there. I signed the contract right away and left the deposit. The director, Mrs. Hammond, had a few questions for me. She wanted to know if Catherine was potty trained. Yes, I said. She also asked about Catherine's mother. I told her Vanessa died a little over a year before and I was raising Catherine by myself. I also informed her that I taught Catherine the alphabet and some numbers. Mrs. Hammond said she would test her to see where she should start with the educational side. When Catherine and I left, she started crying. She wanted to stay because she'd already made a few friends and was having lots of fun. I told her I would bring her back the next day. Catherine's first day of daycare was Monday, which was also my first day back at work. I'd been off for over a year. I needed that time because I found it hard to function. I decided to go see the therapist and I was working with my pastor on my grief issues. Most men feel like they are tough and don't need to talk about their problems. They say, suck it up. You're a man. You're tough. I don't know about that anymore, but I think watching your wife drop dead will make any man look for help. When I got back to work, things were different. A lot had changed while I was gone. I was told I would need to catch up quickly. I thought that was code for, you need to start looking for a new job. I was right, it was. Within the third week, I was called into the office and notified, we don't think you're going to fit in with this new team, so your services are no longer needed. They gave me 30 days pay and said I would receive a good reference. I thanked them and left. That was really hard for me. I, I'd never been fired from a job before. I, I really didn't know how to take it. I was lost again. I was depressed. I went to the cemetery to talk to Vanessa, or as some would say, I was walking in the cemetery talking to the dirt. It was the first time I'd been to the cemetery since she died. I asked her, why did you die? I've cried almost every night for the past two years and I don't sleep much anymore. I told her about Catherine and how happy she was and how she was starting daycare. The last thing I said to her, I lost my job today. It was hard for me to say that. 
this was new territory for me. I, I didn't know how I was going to provide for Catherine and me. I, I'd never been in this situation before. That afternoon, I picked Catherine up from daycare. When I got there, she didn't want to leave. She was having so much fun. She was learning a lot, and she'd begun talking so much clearer. I knew I had found the right school for her. Before we left, I had a discussion with the director about the results of Catherine's aptitude test. She told me that Catherine was advanced, and if she learned to talk better, she was going to put her in pre-K. I knew Catherine was smart, but I didn't think she was that smart. I was really proud of her. It was great news, but I was still bothered about losing my job. I was glad Catherine didn't understand sorrow or that I'd been fired. Children depend on their parents to provide for them. At her age, all she knew was eat, sleep, school, and play. I was determined I wasn't going to let getting fired get the best of me. I knew I had a job to do and my in-laws were waiting for me to make a mistake and fail. They still wanted a reason to try and take Catherine from me. I was sure their feelings about me hadn't changed. They were always mad that I didn't give Catherine to them and when they tried to get joint custody, that failed as well. I was worried and stressed, but I started looking for work right away. I saw a few jobs in the Sunday morning paper and I began to update my resume. It was 2003 and residential and commercial construction projects were everywhere. I knew I could find something quickly. After I finished updating my resume, I sent it to several companies. I started getting interviews immediately. I had four interviews the first week. The hard part was deciding between offers with similar benefit packages and salaries. I knew I wanted something close to home. That was a major factor in my decision. If something were to ever happen with Catherine, I wanted to be able to get to her quickly. Eventually, I accepted an offer from a company in Owen Mills. It was about 28 miles one way. I'd received an offer closer to home, but the salary was about 20% lower than the other offer I accepted. Money was also a huge factor in my decision. Catherine was growing fast, and it seemed like I had to buy her new clothes and shoes every month. She'd also started eating more. The cost of food was going up. I also knew there would be unexpected expenses and additional costs at her school for field trips and other activities. Like most people, I found starting a new job very stressful. I was facing a lot of unanswered questions, but how many people were passed over? Who else wanted this job? Who was going to be an ally and who wasn't? Being a project manager means you have people answering to you. Some people just don't like being told what to do. I was nervous my first day. I kept thinking about Catherine. So many questions kept flooding my mind. Was she okay? Had she eaten? What if something happened to her? I tried to stay focused on getting acclimated to my new co-workers and how the office operated. The work wasn't hard, but I had to get used to being back at work and to being away from Catherine. Over the next few days, I began to settle down and my ability to focus started to return. Things at work began to work out amazingly well. We got a 125-unit senior apartment project that was only about five miles away from Catherine's school. The company wanted an on-site project manager for that location. When I spoke with the senior project manager about it, he told me he thought it would work well for me and my child and that I would be a good fit for the project. I thanked him and indicated to him this was a huge blessing. Catherine was about two and a half years old and she was growing fast. I just couldn't believe how smart she'd become and how tall she'd grown. She would sit on the floor with her books and mumble. 
I didn't pay much attention to her mumbling. She'd act as if she was reading. She'd stay on a page for about a minute or so and then turn the page. I watched and smiled. I'd say to myself, my baby thinks she can read. I thought it was cute. Around Catherine's third birthday, she started talking to everyone she saw. Once, when we were in the grocery store getting things for her party, out of nowhere, she said to me, Daddy, I want a mommy. What? I said in shock. I want a mommy, she repeated. This was the first time I'd heard her say anything like that. Then she said, everybody at school has a mommy. I uttered to her, we can't just buy a mommy. Daddy has to find a wife. Catherine replied, there's a mommy. Who? I asked. She pointed to a pregnant woman. I laughed and said, that's somebody else's wife. We can't have her. Catherine looked devastated and asked, why can't I have a mommy? I was confused and didn't know how to reply. Tears rolled down my cheeks and I felt depression creeping in again. I felt like I'd failed my daughter. The pregnant woman was standing behind us. She asked, hey, what's wrong? She wants a mommy, I said. Where's her mother? She asked. Her mother died when she was nine months old, I explained. She thinks you can be her mommy. The lady laughed. Then she talked to Catherine and tried to explain that you can't just pick a mommy out at a store. Little did I know, this was only the beginning of Catherine's desire to have a mommy and her quest to find one. After that day in the grocery store, she started wishing and praying for a mommy. Part of me thought it was kind of cute, but it also made me sad. When she said her prayers before bedtime, she asked God for a mommy. I would lie down after she went to sleep and cry. I was feeling sorry for myself. I knew I shouldn't, but it was painful. I didn't want my baby sad. For the first time since Vanessa died, I thought, maybe I should have given Catherine to my sisters-in-law. That night, after I started doubting myself, I dozed off to sleep and dreamed about Vanessa. She came to me and said in her quiet voice, Don't even think of giving her to them. You can and you will keep and raise her. You made me a promise. I woke up sweating. It, it seemed surreal. I ran to Catherine's room, picked her up and held her tight. She was fast asleep and I said to her, I'm going to find you a mommy. I won't let you down. It had been over a year it had been a little over two years since Vanessa's death. The pain was still fresh like it happened yesterday. However, I began to think that maybe I should start dating again. Catherine wanted a mother and I was lonely. I hadn't gone out or dated anyone in a very long time. I didn't know where to start. I talked to Marcia. I told her I was thinking about trying to meet someone. I told her Catherine was starting to ask for a mommy and I was lonely. Marcia said she had she and her friends were going to a club on Saturday night and she invited me to go along with them. What will I do about a babysitter? I asked. Welcome to the world of single parenting, she replied. Then she told me she wanted me to meet a friend of hers. I called Sharon and asked her if she could keep Catherine. I told her I was going out with Marcia and some of her friends. It's about time, Sharon said. Bring Catherine's clothes for the entire weekend. What? I exclaimed. Yes, she replied. I'll keep her. You need a day off. I'll drop her off at school on Monday. You can pick her up after work. I called Marcia. I have a sitter for the weekend. Let's party. 
I was excited I had a chance to go out and relax. Even if I didn't meet anyone, it was just going to be a chance to wind down and have some fun. Friday came. I packed Catherine's clothes for the weekend, so when I picked her up after school, I could go straight to Sharon's house. It was a great day. After I dropped Catherine off at school, I began to feel like I was abandoning. It was a strange day. After I dropped Catherine off at school, I began to feel like I was abandoning my child. I'd gotten used to having her with me. This would be only the second time in three years that Catherine and I were not in the same house. About two o'clock that afternoon, my sister called me at work. She told me she was near the school and she could pick Catherine up, so I didn't need to worry about it. I said, it's no problem. I need to kiss her goodnight and say prayers with her. Sharon said, stop worrying. Go and have some fun. You don't get to do that too often. I agreed. You're right. I'll, I'll do just that. I'll, I'll have some fun. When I got off work, I went to Sharon's house. She wasn't there. I called her cell. She answered and asked, what do you want? How's Catherine? I asked. She laughed and said, she's fine, but I hope you're not going to call me every five minutes. Leave her bag at my house. Okay, I said, I'll, I'll try not to get on your nerves. Look, Sharon said, you have a chance to go out and have some fun. You need to understand that as a single father, you won't get this too often. So enjoy it while you can. For me, that was easier said than done. I was still grieving Vanessa. Around nine o'clock that evening, Marcia called. Where are you? She asked. I'm getting dressed. I told her I'll be there around 945. My friend I want you to meet is here. She said, okay, I'm coming. Give me 30 minutes. I was a little nervous about meeting someone I, I didn't know. What was I going to talk about? I was still thinking about Vanessa, but I thought maybe this was what I needed to get past my grief. When I got to Marcia's house, I sat in the car for a few minutes, nervous and wondering if I was ready for this. It had been a couple of years, but some people grieve longer than others. Finally, I knocked on Marcia's door. She answered, come in. Marcia and I had been friends for a while, so I knew most of the people there. She introduced me to her friend, Laura. She was a very nice-looking woman. I was attracted to her. We went to a club and restaurant called the 30th Edition. It was an upscale dinner club on the 30th floor of the Hyatt Regency. It was a very popular place, mostly with the middle-class professional crowd. Laura and I got a table and sat down. We talked about our lives. Laura told me she had two kids and she'd never been married and she'd just bought a home. I tried not to be judgmental of her, but as she talked, I felt like she really wasn't for me. I thought perhaps it was just my nerves because I really didn't thrive in a blind date scenario. So I began to talk to her about my life. I told her how Vanessa died and how I was raising my daughter alone. Of course, she knew that because she was friends with Marcia. She told me she would be glad to help me. I'd heard that before. I had met quite a few women who wanted to help me. Like everyone said, they all had their motives for offering. What those motives were, I don't know, and I didn't want to find out. Laura's offer to help me didn't sit well with me. I need to call and check up on Catherine, I told her. Didn't you leave her with your sister? She asked. Yes, I said, but I still need to do this. It's more about me knowing she's okay than it is about my sister's ability to take care of her. This is the first time I've been out late at night in, a, in, in at least four years, I reminded her. I'm, I'm not used to this. I walked away to call Sharon. When she answered, she said, what's the problem? Nothing, I said. I just wanted to know how Catherine was doing. 
Sharon laughed and said joke and said jokingly, I don't know. Why would you say that? I said, you know, she's fine. Sharon said, if anything was wrong, I would call you. You know, I'm not used to being away from her. I retorted, if you call me one more time, you better just come and get her. Sharon said, you are being more of a problem than Catherine. When she said that, I realized I called her four or five times in the last six hours. I won't call again tonight, I promise. Don't call anymore this weekend, she told me. Try to enjoy your time off. When I got back to the table, Laura asked, is Catherine okay? Yeah, I replied, she's fine. My sister told me not to call back. She said if I do call back, I better be on my way to pick her up. Your sister is right, Laura said. You need to chill. Let's dance. I think I still know how to do that, I told her. I'll help you with that too, she said. We danced for a while, but I just wasn't feeling the whole idea of partying and being away from Catherine. I asked her, can we go back to the table? Sure, she said. I tried to explain. She replied, don't. I think I understand. I knew I turned her off. I was boring and focused on my child. In fact, I had actually dozed off a couple of times. I told her I was sorry and that I hadn't meant to be a snob. Even though the night hadn't gone well, we still exchanged numbers before we left. We talked a few times after that night, but nothing ever came of it. Shortly after that, it felt like everyone I knew was trying to hook me up with someone. It was starting to get annoying. My friends and even the director at the school where Catherine attended got in on the Find HK a Wife sweepstakes. I thought they were all crazy. I decided to try online dating, so I joined a dating service. To my surprise, I got hits and messages from women almost instantly. I had no clue there were that many single women out there. The dating service I chose was set up for people who didn't have time to go out to clubs, bars, and parties. A couple days after I joined, I received a message from a young lady with the screen name of Maybe You. I didn't know what her screen name meant, but it intrigued me. I sent her an email and suggested we communicate and see what happens. She was okay with that. I explained my situation. She said she understood. I asked her what her real name was, and she said, Wanda. After a couple of days of exchanging messages back and forth, it was hard for me to sit and instant message her for hours. I sent her my number and informed her it would be easier if she would just call me. She said she would call me later that day. I was looking forward to hearing from her. About 7.30 that evening, my phone rang. It was Wanda. We talked for quite a while. I was far more comfortable talking with her over the phone than over instant messaging. Wanda had a beautiful voice and a good and good telephone manners. We decided we want we wanted to meet in person. She suggested we meet somewhere public so we would both feel safe. I agreed and suggested we have dinner. That's a great idea, she said. We agreed to meet that Friday. It was Monday, so we would still have the rest of the week to talk and get to know one another better. That Friday night, we met at the Red Lobster. We thought that would be a good place because she and I both liked seafood and Red Lobster wasn't too flashy or expensive. It was also close to where we both lived and it was also close to my sister's house where I'd left Catherine. I promised my sister I wouldn't call her that night. I got to the restaurant first. I told Wanda I would get a table and wait for her. When she got there, I was impressed. She was prettier than her pictures. She sat down, we had a drink, and talked for quite a while before we ordered food. She told me more about herself and her life. She was a telephone technician and had been divorced for three years. After we ate, she asked if I would like to go dancing. Sure, why not, I said. 
We went to a small club in Maryland that she'd been to before. I'd heard of it, but I'd never been. It was really a nice, mature group of people and old-school music. It was just the kind of club I liked. After dinner and dancing that evening, things between us began to intensify. We started talking two or three times a day, and we started to see each other several times a week. I thought I might have found someone, but I was careful. I didn't want to get my hopes up, and I didn't want to get Catherine's hopes up either. I knew relationships could change in a moment, and that's exactly what happened with Wanda and me. Wanda liked to party and go to clubs. That was something I really hadn't done on a regular or weekly basis in about 20 years. I'd mostly stopped partying years ago, and I even went and I went even less once I had Catherine. Wanda couldn't get enough of the nightlife. She didn't have any children, so I understood. Eventually, Wanda started to complain that we didn't go out enough. We needed to get out and have some fun. One night, I explained to her, if I had a babysitter, I would go out with you, but I don't. She said, my mom could keep Catherine. I don't know your mother, and neither does Catherine, I responded. I don't leave her with people I don't know. Wanda got upset and said, what do you think my mother is going to do, hurt your baby? I don't think your mother would hurt her, I replied, but I don't know her. You just don't understand what being a single parent is like, especially a single father with a little girl. Everyone is waiting for me to make a mistake, and some people just want me to fail. After that evening, Wanda and I broke up. When we broke up, it made me think back to a previous relationship I'd been in. Years before, I dated a woman named Deborah Gordon. I always wanted to go out or just wanted more time with her, but Deborah had a four-year-old son, and she had to make him her priority. I didn't understand, and we eventually broke up. When I found myself in a similar situation, but in reverse, I totally understood Deborah's position. I wished I could find Deborah and apologize for my total selfishness. Now, I really know how tough it is to work a balance between a relationship and raising your child. Finding someone who truly understands what your priorities are is a hard thing to do. After Wanda and I broke up, I stopped the online dating and focused my attention on Catherine. It made it, I made it clear to all my friends and family that I didn't need nor did I want them to hook me up with anyone. If and when it happens, it will happen. And that brings us to the end of Chapter 5 of H.K. Fitzgerald's Raising Catherine. I so want to apologize because I believe in the opening remarks I called Mr. Fitzgerald Mr. Fitzpatrick. And I wanted to clear that up. This book is called Raising Catherine and it is by a Mr. H.K. Fitzgerald. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. I hope you enjoyed the reading. Until next time.